Hello, welcome to another episode of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. In this podcast, we explore some of the little-known legends, stories, places, and rumors about the great Buckeye State. We're your hosts, Mike and Dan. So hide the keys, lock the doors, and turn down the lights. The next episode is about to begin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. I'm Dan, and this is my partner, Mike. Mike, how are you? Hey, Dan, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. Tonight, we have a Backroads first. We're introducing two special guests. Our first special guest is local historian Maria Dade. Maria, hi. Hey, Dan. Hey, Mike. Hello. We also have another special guest. It's Doug Hewlett. Doug is a local historian and gives talks on the subject of body snatching. Doug, welcome aboard. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be talking to you today. Terrific. Doug, thanks for joining us. So, before we begin, we should offer the mild sticker warning that there may be descriptions of violently ripping freshly dead bodies from a grave that may be sensitive to some listeners, so be warned. The term body snatching means exactly that, removing a body from a grave, preferably a fresh one. So, body snatching is distinctly different from grave robbing. Doug, can you explain the difference? Uh, yes, uh, body snatching was for medical research. Uh, matter of fact, they like to call themselves, themselves um, resurrectionists. They were resurrecting bodies for for science and profit. Uh, grave robbing was just like it implies. Grave they were robbing for grave robbers were robbing for um, artifacts. You know, stuff of value, clothing, jewelry. Uh, anything that was of value to be sold. So, Doug, what were the penalties? Uh, were they different for the two? Uh, yes, they could be. Um, since a body was not considered legally property, um, there was not as much of a penalty for grave robbing. But if you were caught with personal effects like uh, the deceased's um, clothing or jewelry, that was uh, more of a severe penalty, uh, criminally speaking. Huh. Hey, Doug, how did these guys do it? Did they work in teams? They did. Um, a lot of times, uh, this could be a uh, men and women working together. Uh, I want, my researchers found one uh, resurrectionist from Cincinnati whose wife worked as a part of his team. She was a lookout, and um, sometimes she would go to poorhouses to claim a body of a deceased person. From um, So you had men, women. Uh, typically, you'd have somebody to help find the body, and then you would have a lookout, a couple of people to help dig up the body, maybe even somebody with a wagon who would transport the body after it was removed removed from the grave. Doug, was there was there more than one way to retrieve the body or bodies? Was there was there always uh, just one body at the at a time that they took or did they ever take two bodies, you know, from a double stack grave or something like that? Well, if if they were lucky to get two for the price of one, I'm sure they would, but typically it was probably one at a time. The best way that was 
that was found was to dig at the head of the grave, dig down to the coffin, break open the lid, and attach a rope to the head or around the shoulders and pull the body out, and then you would recover the grave to make it look like it had never been disturbed. Wow, I think I need a shower after all of that. So, so what did the uh, resurrectionists do with the clothing? It, you know, it might be bad optics to be seen strolling around town in, in a dead man's clothes or dead woman's clothes, even. Typically, they would leave it behind. Um, you would just throw it back into the grave, cover it up, and, and make off with the body because you would not want to be caught with someone's burial clothes because that could add to your criminal liability. If they were grave robbing, then they would take the clothes and try to maybe even sell those if they were valuable. Right. Okay. Yes. Other, otherwise, they left them. Hey, Doug, was there a system for them to figure out, like, who had died, and did they follow up on that? I mean, how'd they know that? One one story I found that was down in the South, there was a uh, African-American. He worked for a uh, medical college, and they actually taught him to read where he could read the local papers uh, to find out about someone who had passed away. You know, you could use obituaries, you could use uh, going to the poorhouses or to the lunatic asylums. Recently executed um, criminals mm. as a way of finding the bodies. Wow. So, so the million-dollar question, I guess, is uh, once they got the body, what did they do with it? Well, there was such a high demand in the mid-19th century due to, uh, for medical research. Medical colleges were really booming uh, in business, and a lot of these colleges required a course, at least two courses in anatomy before you could get your degree as a doctor. So much like when we were in high school when you had to pass the frog to dissect or you couldn't get your biology course, it was mm-hmm. the same way with these doctors. If they're like, I've got to have my anatomy or I'm not going to get my degree. So you had a demand for colleges needing bodies and the doctors who were, or future doctors who were wanting to get their degrees were, you know, desperate for a body that they could dissect and, and get the credit they needed to complete their college education. Hey, Doug, like, what was the payout for a body? Like, if if I'm a resurrectionist and I bring a medical school a body, what am I getting for it? According to today's amounts, you probably get roughly 25 to $30. Well, that was a good body. payout then, huh? And that, exactly, that could be a pretty good payout for when you consider that you might work all day for a dollar if you were lucky. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Considering for the cost of living and for just maybe a few hours worth of work at that, yeah, it would have been a pretty good payout. Hmm. So, Doug, if uh, the medical schools were using these for dissection purposes and more and more medical schools were opening as medical science was on the rise, so the need for the bodies would increase as well. I wouldn't think the deceased relatives would be too happy about their loved ones being used for dissection purposes without their permission, were they? No, they were not. As you can imagine, you know, if our loved ones were being desecrated, they were not. There are several ways that people try to prevent this. 
could uh, hire someone to watch your, your loved one's grave. Famously, George Washington, he even requested that his body would be laid out for at least three days after at his death because of the fear of being buried alive or possible grave robbing. So if you had money, you could hire somebody or maybe your loved ones would keep watch over your grave. Um, there was even a, a device called a morgue safe, and you could rent this. And it would be, and it was an enclo- a metal enclosure that would go over the grave for a few days or a few weeks to help prevent a body being desecrated. Hmm. So, so Doug, how how big was this in Ohio? Was this a big thing in Ohio? This was uh, the earliest known grave that to be body snatching was probably around eighteen eighteen near uh, Youngstown. And it it lasted well into the 20th century, but its real heyday was probably the turn of the 20th century. Your estimates were probably 20,000 or more persons were removed from their graves. These are the ones that we know of. You know, these are you know this is just kind of a rough guess. No one will ever know for sure. Hmm. So it wouldn't matter. I mean, if the body was somewhat mutilated, they'd still get a payout for it because the medical schools would use it for different things? Or how would that, did they need to take them a pristine body? Or what would happen with that? Well, I, I, it may seem coarse to say, but it was fresh as best. So as long as they were fresh and in re- relatively good shape, they were they were suitable. For example, right now, this is probably would have been a good time of year for a resurrectionist. The weather's not too hot, but the ground is not frozen solid. Um, there was one newspaper account where the paper warned local people to be on the watch out for resurrections. They said, Our, the ground hasn't frozen solid yet, so be careful for any loved ones who have passed away. Hmm. Uh, so right now would have been a perfect time because without modern refrigeration, it would have been relatively easy to dig up a body, transport a body, you know, because of the weather conditions. Wasn't the son of William Henry Harrison involved in a, in a body snatching incident? Uh, we, uh, his grandson, he was okay. a, a U.S. senator. Right. Uh, yes. At his, uh, at his death, his body went missing. It was uh, found at a medical college, about to be dissected, but his body was recovered and uh, returned to the family, but yes. So, it, which is kind of unusual because most of these bodies that people were, were stealing were unknowns. They were people who didn't have no loved ones to claim them, or they didn't have... He was probably one of the more prominent people that we know of that was stolen like this, because typically these were the people of lower incomes and people who couldn't afford guards or vaults and, and had loved ones who were going to be coming to their graves who were the ones who were the victims of this crime. So so after his body was retrieved, here's here's why I'm even asking, because I I was down at Harrison's, President Harrison's tomb down in, is that North Bend, Cincinnati, I believe, or near Cincinnati, down there? I think he's buried with the president in the family vault. I think after they retrieved I his body. I believe he is. Yeah, I was, I was I standing right next to it and didn't even know it. Now I know it, but at the time, I was in the vault, standing next to President Harrison's burial vault, 
and his this is his grandson you said yes i believe it was yeah. um grandson yeah because yeah, he's buried you know like one row down and, and to the left of where president harrison was buried i just at the time i didn't know it i wish i had known it at the time i would have asked the uh the person in charge there you know a little little bit of background about that it would have been really interesting if had i known at the time hey doug so is that where they get the term graveyard shift if they had uh people watching over the bodies is that where that term comes from yeah that's what i have heard and also the the terminology of ringing a bell, dead ringer, okay. is supposedly is a play on. Uh, there were some innovate innovations of, for to prevent grave robbing and uh, premature burials, where they would attach bell and you would run a, a rope down to the body, and if someone rec- woke up, they could ring the bell. So uh. it was That's the story. I don't not sure, but yeah, graveyard shift was. Uh, the possibility that, you know, if you could hire somebody to watch your loved one for a few days or a few weeks to prevent uh, a grave robber. Got it. Interesting. That's really interesting. So, Doug, did anybody ever use any kind of mechanical devices like a cage or something to put over the graves? Yes. There was a device called a mort safe, which was basically an iron cage that you could rent that could be installed over the grave to help prevent or hopefully prevent your loved one's body from being stolen. So they'd leave this cage over the cemetery plot and they'd leave it for just a time or how tell me more, I'm fascinated. Yeah, yes, you could you could buy one or you could even rent them and and you would have that place over your loved one's grave. Some cemeteries, uh, you can find them still in place. If you do see like a large metal cage that covers a, a grave, that's one of them that, huh. that, that has that was placed there and just left. So you can send some of them. You'll even see they have large stones placed on top of of the the cage. So would they keep the cage there only a time, and then as the body started to deteriorate and was no longer fresh, they would move the cage to a different to a newer um, they burial? will. They That's would. That's interesting. But, some, but sometimes you'll find them where they, they just left them. They, you know, there'll be a grave there that has been, for whatever reason, they decided to just leave it, you know, over there. Um, I've seen some of, of graves in Europe where they've been there over 100 years and, you know, they just left them. For now, is reason. that why mausoleums became popular? Was that more of a protection for bodies? Mausoleums were popular for that, and also for uh, if the ground was frozen solid and you couldn't have a burial yet, so you you could use a mausoleum also. So, uh, Doug, I bet uh, people didn't take too kindly to these medical schools essentially desecrating their loved ones, did they? No, they did not. Medical schools were known to have riots break out where they were attacked by loved ones of family members who were looking for their loved ones who were missing. You had people who would attack grave robbers if they were caught in cemeteries. Sometimes the guards that were hired to watch cemeteries would fire on grave robbers. Wow. So, Doug, how long did this practice take place? All through the 19th century up until the beginning of the 20th century, this was more active, the, the process of grave robbing. What really brought it 
to an end is when medical schools were allowed bodies, it was easier for them to get bodies, and a lot of the bodies they would claim would be homeless, people buried in uh, at poor houses, they could claim these bodies. Also, changing attitudes about dissection, kind of put it into the actual business of and the trade in human bodies. So I don't, I don't know if we talked about it. Did we, we may have mentioned it earlier, but it became legal to donate these bodies to the schools at some point, didn't it? Yes, it became legal to donate bodies. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. So, Doug, tell us something we don't know about body snatching. To me, I, I always like to point out when I do this talk on, on grave robbing and body snatching is, as gory as it is, as sad as it is, we do owe a debt for the research that it allowed and for medical advances. Because medicine would have never advanced if you doctors were not allowed to train and learn and study. We do owe a debt in a weird way to these men and women. And the gory work they did in the colleges that participated in it in buying bodies. Absolutely. So, Doug, have you ever snatched a body? <laughs> Never have. <laughs> you have any plans to do so? Never. I, th- I never. don't know. I don't know. <laughs> never, you never, just, never. You just said it was the perfect season for that, Doug. <laughs> well, you know, you know the, the funny thing about it is some of the things I found out, the dangers of, of doing this. It wasn't necessarily the dangers of being arrested and put in jail for a long amount of time because there really wasn't much jail time for anything like this. But you had the dangers of diseases from handling a body. Uh, you had the dangers of being found out when locals would find out that you were desecrating your loved one's grave. You also had the danger, this is one of the weirder stories I ever heard of, there was a, a resurrectionist who had removed the body, had a rope around it, and he threw the rope over the fence, and somehow as he climbed over, he was going to pull the body over it, well, the rope got wrapped around his neck, and he was hung. They found him the next day, body on one side of the fence, wow. and the resurrectionist on the other side of the fence. And it's one of those kind of stories, it's like... If you made it up for fiction, they, people would say, oh, that's crazy. That's, but it happened. It was a newspaper account. So, yeah, and, and, of course, you had at the rare instances where maybe two grave-robbing groups would get together and meet at the same time, and gunfire might be exchanged between them. What a great story this was. This was fascinating. I love the history on this. What a great topic. Thanks, Boy, Doug. me too. That was a great topic. So I want to give a special thanks out to our guests, Maria, and our guest, Doug. Thank you both for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Doug gives a talk about body snatching as well as other historical tours of downtown Sandusky. Doug, can you tell us about these and how people can get a hold of you if they want to learn more? Yes, I do uh, my ghost walk, historical walks and ghost walks. Downtown Sandusky, I offer these any time of the year, and I can be reached at Doug's Junk Drawer 73 at gmail.com or 419-239-3602. Wonderful. Well, Mike, this wraps up another episode. 
That was a great episode. Thanks again, Doug. Really, really interesting stuff. I really appreciate it. I have been on Doug's tour. Fabulous. Well worth reaching out to him. And what was that email address one more time? It was Doug's Jerk Drawer 73 at gmail.com. Perfect. And your phone number again, Doug? My phone number is 419-239-3602. Perfect. Reach out to him. It's an excellent tour. Well, Mike, this wraps up another episode. It was a great episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more like it, head over to ohiomysteries.com. With over 500 podcasts to choose from, there's sure to be one that's going to keep you captivated. I'm Dan, and I can be found at YouTube at North Coast History and Haunts. My partner, Mike, can be found at Facebook at Too Late for Autographs. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. That was another episode of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. Stay tuned for more. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.